I just, again, this is, this is the weekend leading into Christmas. Many, many people all over the world are beginning already and have been now for weeks turning their eyes towards you. But something unique is going to happen in these next few days because millions and millions and millions of people are going to be lifting up their eyes and gazing upon the significance of what you said you did when you came, came to us and dwelt among us. And as the writer said in John, and we beheld your glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And Lord, you who have come, I pray that in these minutes you would come to us. You would come and you would meet us where we are. May this Christmas day that we're aiming towards not be something we rush past, but something that we choose to mark intentionally. And that these next few days along the way, we will have moments where we pause to reflect on the significance of what we're celebrating, what it really means, what it implies for us, not just in the life to come, which is stunning, but also in this life, which has so much meaning for us. So we welcome you even now, Jesus, our God, Emmanuel. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen, God. All right, Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. This is in your handout as well. You can follow along. You might have a Bible on your phone, or you might have, you might have a Bible with you. But I'm going to read out of the, the bulletin here, and you can follow with me. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time commenting on this passage. I'm going to come back to it, though. But this is, this is Matthew's account of the birth of Christ. Luke focuses more on the account from the perspective of Mary. But the Gospel of Matthew tends to focus on it slightly more from a perspective of Joseph, which is interesting, because he had a role to play, not a primary role, but a significant role. It says this, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her fiance, he was a good man, but he didn't want to disgrace her publicly. And so he decided to break the engagement quietly, which would make sense. Because at that time, it would have been a tremendous stigma. And Joseph, although not disbelieving of Mary, had no desire to humiliate her. He just didn't believe what she had to say about how she got pregnant. And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And Joseph, son of David, he was a descendant of the Davidic line, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she, will, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, God who saves, God is salvation. For he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. This would be the prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and, and he took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until the son was born. her son was born. And Joseph named him, as he had been told in the dream, he named him Jesus. Now that, now, we read this, even when I was, and I've read this passage so many times in my life. I read it every, really every Christmas time. But the passage is interesting to me. I, when I looked at it in a diff, slightly different way, and that's what's so cool about God's Word, you can read it and read it and read it, and then come back at a certain point in your life and look at a passage you've read numbers of times or a verse you've, 
you've sort of thought about so many times. And then because of where we are in our life or because of a different way of looking at it, it has such a new meaning to us. It becomes like a word to us. And as I was looking at this passage that we just read, I was, I was really reminded how much it is bathed in the incredible and the miraculous. It's, it, it pictures God bursting into humanity. You know, it's, it's like, it's just, there's like miraculous stuff all over it. It pictures God bursting into humanity, timeless one entering into time. Talks about a young woman, a virgin named Mary, who's, who's and if you study it, agreed to be a, the mother of Messiah. We're told overshadowed by the Spirit. And then Matthew tells us about a disbelieving Joseph, right? Who, who is discreetly determining to quietly and painfully put his wayward fiance away so that she wouldn't be shamed publicly. Because it would have been a shame in that day, far more than this day. Only to be convinced, Joseph is, by an angel in a dream that, that she was you know, involved with something that God was doing. And all of these things, listen, as we read them, they defy all human sensibility. And there's really no categories we have for them. They just, it seems incredible. But the Bible doesn't even try, try to overposition things. It just tells us. It just lays it out there. You can tell almost, though, that Matthew, who's the writer of, of this gospel, as he's relaying the account, feels compelled because he, he's kind of probably aware of how incredible it all sounds to refer to something that had been written hundreds of years earlier, a prophecy from from the, the hand of a, one of the great prophets of Israel, a man named Isaiah. And in fact, you see how in verse 20, 23 there, he actually quotes from Isaiah 7:14. It's almost like he's saying, I know this sounds incredible, but let me anchor this by telling you that this is actually the fulfillment of a promise that was given to one of the greatest prophets of Israel, the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah had written these words Hundreds of years before the coming of Messiah, he has said, Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, when we, what we know is the one who wrote those words, Isaiah, was a prophet whose ministry spanned a key juncture in Israel's national life. He had witnessed the fall of both kingdoms, Israel and Judah. That's a long story. But basically, he had watched his people, Israel, go into captivity. And part of his book, if you read this great book of the Old Testament, which is filled with prophecies in it, um, one of the things that he, he had done is he had had to prophesy judgment on his people. But also in the face of prophesying judgment, like you're going to have to, you have consequences to actions. And those actions of turning away from God are going to produce something. And he said, but in the midst of him saying these words that, that good, some bad things are about to happen, because of choices we as a people have made to turn away from God. He also was articulating a hope. And it was a hope that he said would come from, of, of, you know, by basis of, of a deliverance from captivity. A captivity which he declared would ultimately be realized through the coming of, of, a, of a deliverer that they call Messiah. An anointed one. And then incredibly, Isaiah writes... And this anointed one, this deliverer, who will deliver not only the people of Israel, but ultimately the world, he says, this deliverer will actually be coming from, and he talked about it, a child who will become the ultimate king. He will literally be Emmanuel, God with us. So Matthew goes back in time and he pulls in 
this prophecy from Isaiah about the coming of Messiah, and he anchors it right into the incredible account of what God was doing with an obscure young woman and a disbelieving fiance, a man, a carpenter named Joseph, and how God was going to use the ordinary to bring out the extraordinary, how the God who stands outside of time was going to enter into time to bring us in a way out of time into eternity. It's an amazing thing. The span of it, incredible. Now, I was, I was writing down something that uh, a commentator that I highly regard uh, G. Campbell Morgan had to say about the prophet Isaiah and this particular prophecy of Emmanuel, God with us, Christ. And I put it in your handout as well. I always want you to read it through. It's a little, it's a little chunky here, but I, I think it's helpful. So just watch this and read it with me. It says, Isaiah, he writes, you can see it in the quote column, perhaps the mightiest of all the Hebrew prophets came to an age that, is char that was you know, characterized by its practical godlessness. We know the history of Israel and Judah and how terrible had been their forgetfulness of God. As a nation, they forgot God and how terrible had been this forgetfulness. To these people, Isaiah came saying, in effect, you forgot God, but you did not escape God. This man, a far-seeing vision, as he looked onto consummation and deliverance and salvation, expressed the whole, the whole of it by one word. That word... The same word Matthew brings into play, Emmanuel, what it means, God with us. He taught constantly on the presence of God in human affairs and that in the process of the method of God, there would be a mysterious moment in human history when God would be present in the form of a child. This is what we mean by Jesus, whose name means God saves and Emmanuel, God with us. That's what we're really celebrating. When we talk about Christmas, what is Christmas? It's the celebration of Emmanuel, of God with us, that God becomes one of us. Now, what does that mean? It means some things, at least in part, stay with me on this one. It means at least in part that we as a race have not been, for, been abandoned. We have not been forgotten. I mean the human race. I mean humanity. We have not been abandoned. We have not been forgotten. We have not been left for dead. Christmas says, God cares. God remembers. God loves, and as the great Dallas Willard said, and God likes us. And what's more, he's come to find us. Tim Keller was a great pastor in New York, prolific author. He was talking about the uniqueness of Jesus and Christianity, and he wrote this in an article that was actually published in the Wall Street Journal just recently. He said, every other re religion has a founder that says, I'll show you the way to God. But only Christianity of all the major religions has a founder that says, I'm God, come to find you. That's a very different paradigm. It's not just showing the way to God, but it's God seeking us out. And that changes the entire equation. That's why I love to quote at Christmas time, John 3:16, because for me, it's a reminder of how much God loves us. For God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son. That's what Christmas is. He gave his son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have life everlasting, now and yet to come, the undying life of Christ present in us. For God, in verse 17, right on back of that, says, did not send his son into this world to condemn the world. We're already standing in some ways. Death is real. Havoc is real. The world has problems. Those are real problems. God didn't send his son into this world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. So, it's, so here's the deal. It's not just... 
God with us in terms of humanity. He's with humanity. I can put it this way, though. It's one more thing. It's God who wants to be with us at a personal level. God wants to be with us. He loves this world, but God loves us uniquely. That <laughs> That's something special as well. I put this in there, and this will be the last quote I read. I just want you to, to sit with this one as well. From the Dallas world, the man I referenced. Look what he says about Jesus. And then, we'll, we'll, then after this, we, we'll be done with the quotations. But I want, I want you to look at it. Think about it. I think he says we finally have to say, look, just think about what he's writing, that Jesus' enduring relevance, everybody talks about Jesus all the time, is based upon his historically proven ability to speak to, to heal, to empower the individual human condition. He matters because of what he brought and still brings to ordinary human beings living their ordinary lives and coping daily with their surroundings. He promises wholeness for their lives. In sharing our weakness, he gives strength and imparts, the key phrase, and imparts through his companionship a life that has the quality of eternity. So what he is offering is not only salvation, God is offering through Christ companionship. A companionship that can fill our life with the quality of eternity. I think sometimes we underestimate what an incredible proposition this is. That God desires for us to be in a relationship with him. And so he came to us. He came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And he wants, but here's the thing about it. He wants to be welcomed. Emmanuel wants to be our Emmanuel. God with us wants to be our God with us. And that is a very different kind of thing to think about. He who has come will only come when we choose to welcome him in. He has come, but he wants to come. And even for those of us who've allowed him to come into our lives, and we've said, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. I receive you as my Lord. And, and if we've never done that, what better time to do it than on Christmas? I don't think there's a better one. When we, how, who can be afraid of God who comes so softly, so vulnerably? We say, Lord, I make room for you in my life. I make room for you in my heart. He, but even more than that, he wants to be welcomed into the every, every part of our life, even the places that we're ashamed of. I was praying with a friend who received some really bad news and he was facing a difficult situation. We were talking about it. And we said, you know, Christmas, we're saying God is with us. He's Emmanuel. Christ is with us. God is with us. I said, Christmas is not only a reminder that God has come. Hear me out. It's also a reminder that, that he will come into any situation that we choose to welcome him into. No matter how fearful that place may be, no matter how difficult that place may be, no matter how intimidating that may be, he will come if we welcome him in. We may say, well, I don't deserve that. We may not say that. But the point is, where we are weakest, he will be with us. When we are least sure of ourselves, he's willing to be with us. When we've come to the end of ourselves and we're just numb, he's willing to be with us. I want to talk about divine humility. 
God will meet us where we are. We talked about it. We, we prayed together and we just said, you know, the Lord, Lord, you have come and we're celebrating your coming. Would you come to us even now in this place? Will you who are the light of the world bring light into this very dark thing? We welcome you in, the one who has come. We welcome you in to come into this place. We welcome you in to come into this difficult turn. We welcome you here. We were talking about, I said, let's not make God our enemy and push him away. Let's choose to let him get near to us and walk with us through the difficulty. Those are two different ways to go. Each one of us gets to decide. Now, as I was looking at this passage, I was reflecting on it. And so what I'm going to do in the, just the few minutes we have left is I want to kind of ref, share some things that, that connect with me and I hope will connect with you that I see from this passage. And there's just to be thinking about in these next few days as we head towards Christmas and really around the bend to a new year. But one of the things that was clear for me as I looked in this passage, and again, as we think about Christmas and the new year that's coming, it's important to remember this when we talk about Emmanuel, God with us, Christ, the one who has been born to give his life for us. Number one, let's note this, that God will work with us in our struggle. It, Joseph was struggling. When you look at the text, you see it. He was struggling. What was he struggling with? With fear. What does the angel say to him in his dream? Do not be afraid. That tells me something. He was afraid. Joseph was struggling not just with his fear, but he was struggling to submit to a path that God was wanting him to pursue. And the, he was struggling with the position that God was asking him to take with his life. And, and God was working with him in that place. Just, just so I thought about it. There are going to be times when God's going to want to help us face fearful things in our lives too. And some of us might be facing them right now. Maybe for us, some things around the bend towards the new year. There's a lot of good things that we're looking forward to, but we've got some things that we're really concerned about. And in those fearful places, one, the challenge is to be thankful, but at the same time to be to not pretend there's not a problem when there is one. And sometimes when we're afraid of something, we're going to have to, we need to bring the Lord into that fearful place. Come on, bring him in. Sometimes, sometimes God's going to call us also to pursue a path. And there's a path that he wants for us to take. But how can I say this? But then there's a part of us that doesn't want to do it. And like Joseph, we may want to go a different way, right? We might want to, we might feel like, well, I don't want to take that path. I mean, you're telling me this is what I should do, but I don't know if I want to do that. Maybe I want to quit. Maybe I want to go in a different way. Maybe I just want to give up. Maybe there's an easier way for me. The point is, we will be brought to these places where God's going to call us to wrestle with things. And sometimes it means confronting our fear. Lord, I welcome you into this place where, I, where that fear is sort of like beginning to just creep up, in, creep up into my life. Other times it has to do with struggling to, and I'm going to use this word, I know it, it sometimes it's, it's not, it's sort of in, in our culture, maybe not always appreciated for what it really means. This idea of submit, sometimes God is just challenging us to submit for a, to, to walk down a path that part of us doesn't want to even, even remotely go down. And, and maybe there's a part of us that wants to run away from it. And again, what does that look like? Sometimes in life, God really wants us to wrestle with things and he will be with us in that wrestling match. It's not always easy to grow. When a seed is in the ground, because the new year comes, 
That's a growth opportunity. But a lot of times the seed is in the ground. One of the hardest things, you know what it does? It has to bust out of the ground. Busting out of the ground is not always, it has a struggle in there. You know, I've, I was talking to someone last night who they were relaying their struggle to, to finally make a decision to surrender their life to Christ because they found themselves in a position where if they, they fell one more time off the wagon, they basically said, I know I'm a dead man. And I came to the end of myself. And I think God brings us to these places where we say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to surrender. Now, in Joseph's case, it had nothing to do with him, himself in terms of a desperate place that he was in. It had to do with surrendering to a role that God was calling him to. And something that he, a part of him, maybe he didn't want to do. So, and I'll take this one step further. Here's, a, here's another thing. What are the limiting, here's the second one. What are the limiting views that need to be I guess, confronted, released in our lives? Are there some things right now as we're wrestling with God and thinking about the path that he has for us and what it means to have him in our lives? Are there some things that we go, Lord, if I'm really honest, I've got some stuff going on in my heart that I probably need to let go of. For Joseph, it was like the shame or the stigma or a sense of betrayal. He, he just doubted Mary. And so he was struggling with that. And I guess, I guess I would ask the question this way for you and me. What are some things that are holding us back from moving forward? Are there perspectives? I just want to put this out there. Are there perspectives that when we're really honest, that God wants us to release? Are there ways of approaching things, tendencies, family traits, habitual reactions, response patterns that we've, we've sort of allowed to define us at, as the years have gone by, but in many ways, these, these perspectives, these views maybe are, are limiting what God can do in our lives. Maybe some of us are struggling with, you know, we, we tend to doubt God's goodness. That, that, that a lot of times our first thing is, you know, it's not doubting God, it's just doubting that he's good. Or maybe some of us, we struggle with a, criti a kind of critical spirit that tends to view everything on first motion out of a, out of a negative place. And so our first words tend to be negative. Our first responses tend to be cynical. Um, we have a hard time getting enthused about life. We've been burned enough times to know that you don't trust people. So that we've got these things. We've been, we were hurt. We were abandoned. We were betrayed. Someone let us down that should have been protecting us. These things affect us. They become limiting views that inhibit God's ability to birth things in our lives. What are things that God's calling us to wrestle through, to welcome him into? Maybe it has to do with a, a general sense of being ungrateful in our lives. We just really don't pause enough to say thank you. We tend to focus on the negative more than and, and less and, and we, to the neglect of the positive. I was writing some other things down. I thought, hey, you know, Lord, perhaps some of us, we find our struggles with timidity. Some of us are, again, here's that word, but f our fearful reluctance to act bravely is a handicap to us. We have a hard time committing because we're afraid. We're afraid either we can't keep the commitment we're afraid of what it will do in terms of hemming us in. So we won't make the step. For some of us, that step is actually connected to welcoming Jesus fully into our life as our Savior who has come. Not just the Christ who has come, Emmanuel, God with us, but our Emmanuel, God with us. And it takes courage sometimes to step past these things. Sometimes, God's, sometimes we have a history of coming to places and we are overly fearful. We, God wants to fill us with more braveness, if I can put it that way. 
Some of us struggle with hopelessness, and so we give up. Some of us are self-condemning. We always see what it is we don't do well. Others of us, our struggle is the exact opposite. Our drop tendency is pride. We fall into arrogance, unhealthy self-confidence, an over-belief an over in our intelligence and our conviction that we can take care of our own lives. We believe in God, but we really don't need God. And the Lord, I want to tell you something. If we live long enough, we will find we really not just need a Savior for the life which is to come. We need a Savior for now. Thirdly, I'll just stick this one up there as well. What does God desire us to, to have birthed in us and through us? And I was thinking about this. You know, and what I'm talking about here is, our, as we're thinking about what is God calling me to, Emmanuel with me wants me to move into what? For him. Mary birthed the Savior. She was the primary vessel of blessing, if I can put it that way. But you know, Joseph was, had a supporting role to play. He was, by supporting Mary, he, it, it allows for all of us to be blessed. And so one of the things that's often looked, and I get it, the, the, the amount of courage it took for Mary to, to move with God was off the charts incredible. But Joseph, a lot of times, is, is underappreciated for his supporting role. And I think some of us, God's calling us to birth things. Others, others of us, God's calling us to really take seriously our supporting role and not to minimize that. Again, I go back to the parable of the talents with Jesus. The one who was given the least was the most, the most really fearful. And, and a lot of times what we realize is that in the God's kingdom, things are not always as they seem. A lot of times greatness is not ever seen by anyone. True greatness is seen behind the scenes. Sometimes it takes tremendous amounts of courage to be faithful to a supporting role because you don't get the appreciation of other people. A lot of times you're the looked over one. You're the passed by one. But the role that you play is off the charts critical for, for something that God wants to do. And for some of us, maybe as we struggle with what it means to walk with God's purposes in our lives, maybe part of it is coming to be at peace with the fact that maybe we have a role to play that wasn't exactly what we would have envisioned or what is always acknowledged as the big role. But it's very important because it's the role that God gave for us. And out of that will come huge blessing. Joseph has a part to play, a very important role to play. And because of what he did, all of us are blessed. He had to agree to it. Um, and then, oh, and then the fourthly, quickly on this, and I only have two more. What, pr what, what, promises, <laughs> what promises need to be embraced? I, you know, I'm hoping one of these things like hooks into the heart. That's all. Sits with us a bit. Gets us looking inside. Think some long thoughts. As we peruse where we're going in the next year, I hope we do that. What about my relationship with you, Lord? How is that affecting the people I love? What's going on inside of me? How am I supposed to address this? What are you wanting to grow in my life? Where am I, what path am I to pursue? Am I just wandering? Or do I have a sense of you moving me in a direction? And if so, what does it mean to have faith to step forward even when part of us wants to run away from that? What promises need to be embraced? Like the prophet Isaiah embraced for his people, like Mary and Joseph were being asked to embrace for the birthing of Messiah. Are there promises that God's inviting us to hold on to? And if so, what are they? And what does it look like to embrace God's word in our life? 
And what does that mean for ourselves? And what does that mean for others? These are questions that God wants us to wrestle with. Last thing I'll say about it, and this one maybe is the one that I, I found most compelling. As I thought about Emmanuel, I want to suggest that he is not only God with us, he is God for us. And <laughs> this is incredibly meaningful to me. It's like, it's like he is on our side. It's, it's, he's, he's not just alongside me. He's on our side. It's like when someone says, hey, I'm, you know, I, I just, I'll just go with you. Now, you can be with someone and not care. It's like, I'm just there, but I'm not really engaged. There's a difference between being with someone and being an advocate for someone. There's a, there's a difference, and we know what that difference is like in our lives. When someone's just present and when someone is for us. Those are two different things. And one of the things the Lord is saying is, I'm not just Emmanuel, God with you, just kind of come down to the earth to, to give my life. I am God for you. I am on your side. I mean, it's again, it's one thing to say I'm present. It's another thing to say I'm for you. I'm working for your good. I'll be a present help for you in time of trouble. In an age, in an era, in a world filled with abandonment and broken promises, there is one faithful to the end. And there's no matter in our lives that he's unwilling to help us in enter into. There is nothing too messy for him if we'll let him in. Even when we're less than what we should be, he'll come. When the Son of God came into this world, he didn't come into a pristine palace. He came into a messy stable. He still goes to messy places. Because he loves us. We matter. God cares. And he gave us Jesus to prove it. So I want to pray. And then we have our song after our time of giving. And we go into this week. Please, let's not forget him. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you. Um, I tried to represent your heart as best I could. And I pray that Everyone here, every, every man, every woman, every young person, every person of advancing years, no matter what our season in life we find ourselves in, each one of those seasons contains unique opportunities and unique challenges. And perhaps part of what we're doing in this, this end of the year run is thinking about our life and where we are in our season. And what is the path that you have for us in this season, Lord? What are you calling us into? What are you calling us away from? What promises are you asking us to embrace? Are there places where we're being asked to welcome you in without any real assurance of what the outcome will be? We're just called to trust you and not put, push ourselves away from you, but to move towards you, even as you have made the first move to us. Is there anything more beautiful than your love? How can we return the good done to us? We can't. The one who was born was born to die to give his life for us, and you did it. You don't ask us really to die. You ask us to live for you, and I pray that we would wrestle with what that means and be open to letting you fill us with your joy, even when things are not always going the way we want them to. You are with us. You've given us a promise that extends beyond this life, a 
promise for what is to come and a presence for what is now. How good is that? Not just walking alongside, detached, but walking alongside for us. We love you. May our love for you grow. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.